This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. I heard someone say on a podcast once, I'm a, I'm a Hindu and a Jew, and 50% of the time I'm an atheist. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's me. And the longing, looking for something, and the even thinking I'm not getting it, those parts aren't so bad. But the part that says, no, there's nothing here, and looks at all of this with skepticism, that's really hard to take. What do you do with the, the atheist part? I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything I haven't experienced myself. Period. What I have experienced, I believe. But an atheist is somebody who hasn't experienced anything other than, you know, what his own mind and whatever else the senses tell us and never experienced anything beyond that. So why would they believe that? Blind faith is useless. The problem is that person also doesn't have a understanding that his suffering is coming out of his own being. And until he changes that, suffering will never change. Atheists don't want to suffer either, you know. They just don't think there's any end to it. Maybe you're luckier than I am. There's a part of me that can disbelieve what I have experienced. Who's saying that? That you can't disbelieve. You can disbelieve your thoughts and your feelings. But you can't disbelieve who just said that. Because that's that's who's here now, that will be here later. That was here before when you had that experience. You just, the clouds come and go, but the sky is always here. So you can't disbelieve the sky when you see everything going through it. You may not be able to see the sky, but you know it's there. So yourself, you know yourself is there, but you don't, you can't see it. But that doesn't, you know it's there, but you can't see it. If you want to see it, you have to do something. If you don't, you don't. But you still know you're here. You're always here. Whether you're feeling like shit or you're feeling good, whether you're driving a car or watching a movie, whether you're doing this or something else, you're always here. That hereness is the self. It's not being is not the thinking about it. It's what's behind all that all the time. So it doesn't matter what you think. 
You're, you're still here. Try not to be here. <laughs> you can't. But it would be a good work. Because eventually, if you really try hard enough not to be here, you'd see how much, how here you are. And then all that other stuff would fall into place. But you believe your emotions, you believe your thoughts, because you haven't gone deeper than that. You haven't anchored yourself. You let them take you away. We all do. We let all this stuff just pull us away like an eagle. Saw this thing on Facebook. This eagle picked up this little kid, right? An eagle swoops down, takes up this little baby, and starts to take off with it. But a few feet off the ground, the baby fell. That's like we are. That's where those little babies and our thoughts swoop down and just take us away. They don't drop us for a long time. So, but even that happens inside the sky. So, you have to do some practice. Practice just means sitting there and help trying to let those thoughts kind of dissolve as they go away. Watch them come, watch them go. Who's watching? It's not the same one who's thinking. The watching, if you if if it was if you were the thought, you know there would never be any awareness; it would just be. But there's the awareness of the thought. You notice, huh? Thinking, I'm thinking. Okay. Come back to the chant. Come back to your breath. You 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 know, it, we're going. We're like we're in a, like a raging river heading towards the waterfall. And we look at the bank of the river and we think that's moving. So we just relax in the boat <laughs> over the falls. Because we think the bank is moving, the bank of the river, and, and we're still. So that's why we have to do some practice. If we don't, nothing's going to happen. That's okay. If it is. If it's not, do some practice. Hey, hi. Um, I'm new to this. I'm new to chanting. I'm new to the whole experience. Um, and um, my spiritual teacher gave me uh, a Sanskrit name, the name Muktan, um, which translates to liberation or liberated one. And I've been looking to establish a japa or a chant, perhaps focused around that name. But Google didn't turn up anything for me when I typed in Muktan chants. <laughs> so I was just curious if in your study or experience, you'd come across any that involve liberation or Muktan or those themes. Like I said over and over, all these names mean the same thing. The one you do is the one that'll work for you. But you have to figure out which one you like and then try it. Uh, not sure Google's the right place, but <laughs> all the information's up there somewhere. So, but it's how you—it's what you do, you know. So. Why didn't your teacher give you a mantra? Um, I don't know. I'm new. <laughs> you're not. You're new enough to have a name. That's true. So. Yeah. Good luck. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, Hello. India calling. <laughs> So in your case of when you lost Maharaji, um, I guess, what was the biggest obstacle spiritually for you after his passing? I'm thinking that or I lost in general, him. Yeah. Of just losing uh, someone who you revere very... Well, I thought my life was over, you know. Period. I, I couldn't imagine that I would ever be happy like that again. Um... It was the only thing that worked for me. Better than a thousand mics of sound I was asked. Better than that. And so what was I going to do? Where was I going to find it? It was gone. So I really suffered for a long time. I guess uh, what kind of uh, practice or anything would you to say help someone just surviving well, <laughs> helped <laughs> you know 
because the, a lot of those clouds just passed as time went on from having lived through uh, so many of the horrors that I had to live through, just living through them. You know, there wasn't much practice going on for a long time, just getting through the day, being really stupid. Uh, and then just kind of gotten tired of being stupid. You know, just just living. And anything that you can, anything that happens out of your living in a natural way is, is, is good. To try to add something that doesn't really fit because you think you should probably won't work. It'd be you. You know, you know I had to be me. Uh, at 100 miles an hour, at every wall I could find, <laughs> head first. But that, but I lived, so you know and that's what did it. I, I outlived a lot of my own craziness, and now it's fully taken over. <laughs> and I think I'm not crazy, so you know I am. <laughs> Anybody tells you they're not crazy, get away from them. <laughs> So yeah, you know, live, live, find out what you want and go for it. That's the biggest thing, because we don't do that. We don't go for it. If we don't go for it, well, then what? You know, then we don't get it. Then we get pissed off and do other stupid things. So. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Can you explain what you meant a few minutes ago about desires are not bad things? I think a lot of people on the spiritual path equate um, spirituality with deprivation or renouncing things, not having fun, sitting around meditating all the time. Um, do, do sitting around meditating could be fun, you know? It's well, not necessarily not fun. Sure, but I, but I think a lot of people... You like that? Are, sure. <laughs> sure, but... That really went in deep. <laughs> Um, you, you said desires aren't bad things. Um, yeah, I said yeah, I I used to have the idea that that um, that the things I wanted in life, uh, the things I wanted, I shouldn't have. That was just my mother talking inside of me. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't do that. It was just kind of it wasn't reality. There's a certain amount of we're human beings. We have to breathe. We have to eat, and we have to do a few other things. And um, doing those things in a good way uh, it doesn't need to be hurtful to a spiritual path. Having being married, having children, uh, living in a house, having a job—this is not in the in in the way of finding God, because you you are are God. What's in you is God, and you have to go inside. Those things aren't necessarily going to keep you. If you want those things and you don't allow yourself to, to eat, that's going to keep you from finding what's in, within you much more drastically. So you have, each one of us has to find some balance in life as best we can. But that never worked for me, so don't believe that. <laughs> don't even listen to me when I say that. I just went after whatever I wanted, full steam. And um, that's why I'm here, because I'm still going after whatever I wanted. This is what I want, full steam. But I had to go after a lot of other things first to experience what they were more deeply and to see what they are and what they're not. You know? Um, when we're, we have lots of fantasies about things, if we could only do this, or if we only had that, or we want that, or this, and if we, then I'll be happy. It's good to get those things and then see you're not happy. You know, that's really good. That's very, that's how wisdom arises. Because we're looking for something outside of us. But once again, we're human beings and we have hungers and we have to eat sometimes. Otherwise, you starve to death. And uh, being a, a sannyasi is no guarantee that you're any closer to God. It's just the path that you've chosen or has been chosen for you or with your approval. 
it's not any easier. I don't know if it's harder or easier. It has its own issues. Living in the world is pretty difficult too. Having to get up and go to work and you know, dealing with all the things in the day, that's not easy. How do you remember God in all that? Right? So, living in an ashram, dealing with ashram politics, makes having a job look like a piece of cake. <laughs> I could tell by the laughter. Uh, who's next? Okay. Um, I'm not sure if you know someone, or maybe you've experienced this. I'll just put it out there. Um, uh, I'm 47, and I got introduced into a practice when I was 16. And um, like many uh, practices, there's an object of devotion. And um, I am, uh, it's been about a 10-year struggle now, but the last three years have been uh, a little bit more freeing. Uh, I, I, it's a very fear-based practice of, of all the Buddhisms for me to pick up. Of course, I would pick a, a very Catholic Buddhism that's very, very, <laughs> you know, which is what I was, uh, how I grew up, very punishing. Like, if you don't do X, Y, Z, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, you're walking down the street and a piano will fall on your head or something, or something will happen to someone, you know, that you, you know, it's really bad. But, you know, that's so why what are you I did. doing it? No, I, I know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not that easy because that was my family when I was 16. I didn't uh -huh. have and so I'm a woman now, and uh, <laughs> I'm, so what I do is I roll it up and I put it away like in the back of my closet, right? And then all of a sudden in times of fear, like I run and I get it and I start chanting to it again. Mm -hmm. And I, I know now, like I know now, like it's almost like I can see that what I'm doing is totally fear-based and I want to move on. I think part of it is definitely somehow... Um, I don't want to say throwing away, but giving away. I don't know what to do with it. I can't obviously speak to the sect that I'm talking about because they'll tell me all the all the things that will happen to me if I do that. Um, I'm very happy to be here and to be around everyone. And I, I, I didn't even know about this place and how I love seeing all the different people that have done so many wonderful things in this world and uh, the deities and everything and just learning about how... All, all different beliefs can lead to, you know, lead to the same place. But with this object and something inside of me saying, let go, let go, but the fear of doing that, it feels like jumping off of of the highest cliff in the world. Um, it was hard for me to ask that question, but there it is. Good. <laughs> I feel vulnerable right now. Uh, thanks. I don't see any pianos. <laughs> they could be on the way, but I don't see them. <clears throat> Fear is, is a tough thing. It's, it's so self... Uh, it, it, it just renews itself all the time, you know? And it, it, there's a whole world you live inside when you're afraid like that. If you were going to be afraid of one thing, which I don't recommend, but if to be, it would be your mind, because that's where all this is happening. There are issues that you have, that we have within us, that we're afraid to face, and um, and it's a, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know. God forbid you should trip when you leave this room. The first thing you'll think is because I didn't do that thing in the closet, right? And then you believe that. So it's up to you to tell yourself to fuck off. <laughs> Nobody else can tell you. You're doing it to yourself. And it's up to you to face the fact that you're doing it to yourself. You know? Um, and this is what cults do, whether they call themselves Buddhist or not. Uh, they, 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 they live, they, they self-perpetuate because of this fear that they 
they uh, they vibrate with in people who have that kind of fear. And this, you started when you're 16, so you really, you know, you're a kid, and it's easy to be led to believe certain things when you're a kid. But you're not a kid anymore. But the fear, when it that button gets pushed, once again, you're 16. You're a kid again, or even younger, because that fear was probably in you from an early age, and otherwise it couldn't have been there now. So it's like, uh, so when that button is pushed, all of a sudden you get weak and, and, and um, unable to protect yourself, so to speak. So the fear arises very violently. Um, but you're not, you're, you know, you're not as old as me, but you're old. And um, you kind of have to talk yourself down. You have to talk yourself. Nobody can talk you down, but you, you can say to yourself, you have to talk to yourself, you know, here comes that fear. And what's going to, what is this? It's big because it's a fear. Uh, I, I, I don't think in this situation that it would be the worst thing to talk to somebody, to talk to a counselor or a therapist who dealt with these issues. Because this is how cults keep people, you know. I was in a cult, so I know. Really. I know how it works. And um, I can still, they remember I, the day I left the group. I was walking down the road and I think, yeah, I was seeing the mountains of Colorado. I was in Florida, but I was seeing the mountains of Colorado out there. Here I go. It was the greatest feeling in the world, you know. It was just fun. I got tired of it. I just said, this, you know, I'm out of here. So, but this is this is part of who you are, and and everybody has this kind of stuff. But um, uh, yeah, I would I would definitely you know. Where do you live? New Jersey. Bayonne. There's Buddhists in Bayonne? <laughs> the Bayonne Buddhists. The Beyond Buddhists. So, you know, um, I know a very, very nice Lama, a very, very good Lama, who sometimes spends time around New Jersey. I think I will hook you up with him. You should go see him and talk to him because he will tell you exactly what to do and he will help you. And you won't have this fear in your life anymore. Okay? So you get in touch with me and I'll hook you up. Thank you. Okay. I've been, I've heard about, you know, I've been, one thing, one Lama told this person that I knew to, to, uh, a way to um, honor that connection that you had made with those people, with that group, and yet still end it. So there's a way to do that, even within within those lineages, you know, those teachings. So that I think that would be the best thing, or a good thing anyway. Okay? But don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, nothing will happen. Also, you know, learn the Hanuman Chalisa. <laughs> Is that a joke? <laughs> I would learn one of the, you know, until the time you can meet this Lama, who you might not be around right now, it might be a few months, every day, read the Chalisa one time. Raise your hand. I promise to read the Chalisa every day. One <laughs> One time. Very good. We'll give you a copy of it. You just took a vow.
You break that vow. God bless you. <laughs> An electric piano will fall out of here. So, I've been chanting for a long time, and I've been very inspired by you for many, many years. Um, last year at the Love Light Festival, I made a decision that I was going to learn Mahana Manchalisa, and I was going to memorize it, and I still haven't. Listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I still haven't, but I practice See? it. So, But I've been working at it. Okay. And last night when you were saying about how your guru said to just keep saying Ram Ram until you actually feel like you mean it. And today... That's a, I didn't exactly well, say that. I didn't say until you feel not, like you mean it. Well, till it, that till it's do. right. Yeah. Till it's, so you can say it Till you correctly. do it right. Yeah. Well, I've been chanting the Chalisa. I've been listening to the Chalisa. Not every day, but a lot since then. And today when we had the afternoon session or the morning session, it's like it pierced my heart. And it was just this oh my God, like, wow. It was pretty wild because I didn't expect that to happen at all. I don't think anybody ever does, but it was just, it was exceptional because it just really got me. I was reading one of the lines and the words just really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, then the crying begins and then it just, you know, you kind of open up. So now I'm going to really memorize it. But it was just, it was, it was profound and I didn't expect that at all. If you hadn't put the effort in first, so that wouldn't happen. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak to the differentiation between going after what you want, desire, and like a willfulness. You need will. You know, will is what moves you. And it directs your energy. Without will, you know, where does it go? What do you do? Whether it's you're trying to direct your attention, that's also your will. I remember I told this many times, but when I was in the jungle with this old Baba who was 163 at the time, he said to me one day, he looked at me and said, hmm. He was like, hmm, you have to develop willpower. And I, my first thought was, willpower? What do I need that for? And then he kind of went like, like he saw my thought. So he did something, and he showed me inside of myself what he was seeing and it was pretty uh, intense I saw that I was not I was putting ankle chains around my ankles you know I was not going after the things I wanted in life and I was all justifying it with well you know I don't need that I don't need this I'm you know all this kind of stuff but I really wanted things that I wasn't going after things that weren't one and um I saw that I had this kind of funny thing like that there was spiritual life and worldly life and that you could live a spiritual life and you didn't have to, you know. But I was in the world. I saw there was only one life, mine, right? And if I wasn't going to live it, who was going to live it? I was, I was not going after the things I wanted. I wasn't living fully. And um, that was a big moment for me. Willfulness, by that I mean, I, I take it to mean uh, uh, inappropriate uh, selfish craving about something, but not God. Yeah, perhaps, but do you think it's possible to experience like that kind of want and desire in, in a positive way and at the same time? have that craving and, and want it. So those two things happening together. Okay, let's do this again. Uh, so you have a desire for something, and which is called craving. Desire is craving. Uh, the issue is, is it going to hurt you or somebody else? That's the only real issue that I can see. If it's desire to drink a, a bottle of poison, because it might taste good, 
I don't think that's good. I think, um, can I elaborate? Please. Okay. So, like, if I want something in my life, if I have a goal or an aspiration for mm -hmm. something that's important, but then when I find that I'm pursuing it, mm -hmm. that I get caught up in wanting it to turn out a certain way, or um, mm -hmm. I get caught up in what people think of me or how good I am in the face mm -hmm. of someone else, that's what I Well, first of all, the one thing is to do is why do you want it? Do you want people to think a certain way about you? Are you trying to get something so that people will appreciate you and look at you a certain kind of way? If that's your motivation, you know, that's what will happen. But the other part of it is that, you know, as far as the fruits of our actions, we have no control over that. All we can do is do what we do, and whatever comes to us, comes to us. We can't guarantee success in anything, and we can't guarantee failure. Well, we can guarantee failure by not going after what we want. So it was my fear of failure that was keeping me from going after the things I wanted. And when I noticed that, you know, I, I was able to overcome that to some degree. But, um, yeah, that's good. Being aware of all that stuff that happens to you on the way to getting something is very good. Is that a reason to not go after it anymore? Not necessarily. Looks like it's doing good. Showing you, showing you parts of yourself that you weren't seeing before, which then horrify you. And that's very healthy. It's good to be horrified by things that are horrifying. And selfishness and greed and, and desire to shine, you know. I remember I was at one of Maharaji's great old devotees named Dada. And um, we, it was at, we were at the Kumbha Mela in India in 1989. <clears throat> and uh, Dada lived also in Allahabad, a few miles away from the space, the place where the rivers meet, and there's a big mela there, a big festival. So we were gonna, we stayed with Dada for a while, and then we were gonna go to the mela grounds and stay at this Baba's place. And so he sent one of his disciples to come get us and show us how to find it, because it's very hard. There were 20 million people you know, for, that came from all over India for two weeks, and then they disappear again. Um, so the sadhu comes into Dada's house, and he was so arrogant and so, had so much pride. It was, he walked in like, look at me, I'm such a great sadhu, you're just a householder, you know, it looks like I don't care. He walked in like this, you know. Dada took one look at him, and he grabbed me, and he pulled me into the back room, and there was an old Almira, you know, an old uh, cabinet. And he reached down under it, way down in the back, and he pulls out this key. And then he opens it, right? He opens the door, and he reaches down the back shelf, and he pulls something out. And it's a newspaper, this old, funky, old newspaper, something wrapped up in newspaper. So he starts unwrapping it, and it's this really cheap aluminum Lota, which is a like a, a, a big cup or a pot, small pot, which they used to pour water or carry water. It's an old. It was all rusty and dirty and dusty. And and he looks and he takes it and he holds it up to me. And goes like, Krishna Das, do you see? Do you see? <laughs> no, Dada, I don't see. No, no. Do you see? Do you see? I know, Donna, I don't see. He looks at me and goes, you don't have to shine. And he just wrapped it up again. Oh, he said, sorry. He said, he said, Maharaji left this for me. The last time he was here, he left this for me. Do you see? I said, no. Do you see? I said, no. He said, you don't have to shine. And he put it back folded up, closed it, took the key, put the key back under there and walked out of the room. You, know, you don't have to shine. You know? Most of the, everything we do in life is designed to make us, to shine us up a little bit so people will like us and look at us and appreciate us more and we get some attention, some affection. You know? But we don't have to shine. We really don't have to. So, if you're noticing all the ways you're trying to shine, that's good. 
Otherwise, how can you let go of that stuff if you don't notice? Right? It's not going to help you get happy. You're just going to spend a lot of time shining yourself up when you fall apart. Your arms fall off or your legs fall because you've been shining so much. <laughs> so, the desires are not necessarily bad. They don't necessarily uh, lead to shining, but they lead to fulfillment in many ways. And they lead to wisdom, too. Because you want something, you go after it. Look at all the things you're learning by going after something. If you stayed home and watched TV, you'd never see these parts of yourself. If you don't see them, who will see them? If you can't let go of them, how could how will you ever really get what you really want? Since those desires to shine and attract this and tension and all that stuff, that's that's in the way of real love. So that was too much, you know. He was really something. He's anything Maharaji said, he said, Yes, Baba. Dada, you are an idiot. You never, you have no brains. Huh, Baba? I have no brains. Yes, I have no brains. You, if I was your wife, Dada, I would have thrown you out long ago. Yes, Baba, she would have thrown me out. Yes, she would have thrown me out. Yes. You have no brains. Huh, Baba? No, Dada, you have brains. And then he goes, Dada, I have plenty of brains. Yes, Baba, you have plenty of brains. Yes. You have brains too, Dada. Yes, Baba, I have brains too. It, it didn't matter what Maharaji said, Dada. He just said, yes, Baba, you know. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> we used to, he would be with Maharaji from morning to night, and from most of his life he was a smoker, a heavy smoker. So there'd be long periods where he'd be with Maharaji, he couldn't smoke. So Maharaji would go like, like go take your two minutes. <laughs> so he would run to our room in the back. We always had a, an ashtray, his favorite brand of cigarette, and some chai ready for him. And he would come in. And he would start smoking cigarettes and drinking chai and telling us <laughs> Maharaji stories like this. And then all of a sudden he would, you'd see like, you'd feel him start to move. And you'd see that he was starting to throw the cigarette down, you know, and put the teacup down. And then we heard Maharaji, da-da! But he heard it before anybody heard it, before it was even a sound. He was already moving in that direction. It was so cool. So cool. Uh, one time Maharaji says to him, Dara, I could have been a really big saint. I could have been a really big saint, but I had one fault. What's that, Baba? Too much compassion. <laughs> really? When he said a really big saint, he means, you know, who walked around in those fancy clothes and drove big cars and, you know, had thousands and millions of disciples and everything there. He was just so far beyond that shit. It's unbelievable. Everywhere he sat down, whoosh, it became a town. People showed up from everywhere. How did they know he was there? Whoosh, like this. Un he couldn't stay in one place. He couldn't stay in one place. They used to call him Tatiwala Baba, Latrine Baba. Because the first place, first thing he would do when he got to a place was build latrines. Because there would be a thousand people there in one day. Where are they going to go poop? So it became known as uh, Latrine Baba. <laughs> hmm. He used to say, people, people come here, they think they can fool me. One time this group of people came uh, and they wanted, uh, they wanted to use Maharaji's name to raise money for a school, which is a good thing to do for kids started school but for some reason he didn't give them permission and when they left he, he said you know, people come here they think they can fool me I go on fooling the whole world and people think they can fool me he just kind of went he could see everything he knew everything it was And and uh, and he knew everything about us, and he still loved us. That's a fucking miracle. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a miracle. That's the miracle of love. 
unconditional love. Um, we spoke last night, you mentioned that you just were at San Quentin prison. Yeah. And I'm just curious if while you were there that evening, if some message came through or, or something that you shared with the people there that you could share with us. Hmm. It's funny. Uh, uh, we had a great time. It was a, being in a room full of murderers is really a great experience. Uh, these guys are really great. And they weren't just, it wasn't the general population. Uh, I have a friend who goes to San Quentin two or three times a week and leads uh, workshops and groups, and they do a lot of work on themselves and uh, real serious work, not just meditation, but real looking at themselves and their motives and their lives and trying to understand and forgive themselves and others for what they've been. Most of these, most of these beings have been abused and hurt in ways that we can't even imagine, and that just translates to the next generation. You know? uh, so it was out of a, a very large population, there were just probably a few hundred people who could even come, and I think just a couple of hundred, 150 people maybe came. So they don't really know the Indian chants too much, although people go and chant there. So I sang, we was going along pretty nice, we were having fun, it's my second time there. And then I sang Jesus on the main line, and yeah, everybody got happy. <laughs> So then I went and sang some of the songs I sing in soundcheck, which are like um, some country and western songs and stuff like that. They, we had a great time. We had a really good time. One guy came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, there are people who say we don't deserve to have things like this. And I said, yeah, those are the people who don't deserve it. And he just laughed. <laughs> These guys really, I mean, look, we're so spoiled, you know? We get a little bored, we put on some music, or we go out and we smoke a joint under a tree, you know, or we go here, we go here, we do that. We're just like, yeah. these guys got nowhere to go. They have to deal with their minds 24-7. It is not fun. I mean, think about it. And plus, the reason they got there was already very heavy. They've all committed serious crimes. They have that a, a kind of heaviness in their in their psyches already, darkness that they have to deal with. They really do the work. It's really quite amazing. Um, I had been to Google the day before, sang at Google, and somebody asked me the next day and said, "Well, how how do you compare San Quentin and Google?" I said, "Oh, you know, there's so many more spiritual seekers in San Quentin." <laughs> I know that's going to come back on us. We'll never get back to Google. So cancel my account. I could shut my, if I could only shut my mouth, life would be a lot easier. I, I hope you don't use Gmail. Yeah, well, not anymore. <laughs> Delete. This is kind of like the koan of chanting. Do I chant or am I a silent meditator? Uh, last, well, I've been listening to you chant for about 20 years. Uh, Silently? <laughs> <laughs> no, at times, furiously, uh -huh. uh, joining in, in all kinds of environments. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that I've seen you in person, huh? our live in-person thing, which is very different. As you know, I, I had been a classical musician years ago. Mm. And when you see a musician engaged in really the act of love, the freshness uh, coming through, the unique blend of memory and, mo and this moment for now, it's something very special, and I wanted to both point that out and thank you, because the chanting with you is very blissful. I cry my eyes out. And then there's something that's very interesting, that you seem to take 
good note of, but we don't address very often, and that is the few moments at the right after the chant ends. We've built up this enormous energy, this blissful vortex of energy. And then everything goes silent. And it's like the, this vortex has gone directly into the center of my heart. And there's just the space. The emptiness and yet the fullness. It's both. It's like totally empty but totally full. And I realized that that's really the place I want to be. Not the one that's shaking and but the one who is present in that way, that deep. Can you speak to well that the way you got there was by jumping up and down and being stupid. <laughs> Don't forget that. The silence is is not the absence of noise. The silence is the presence of real love, of pure awareness, of being. That's always here, but we don't recognize it. So by chanting, we're invoking that place. But because we're paying attention, our minds are coming back from the dreamland that we live in all day long, by singing these chants, out loud or not, it doesn't really matter, but however we do it, we do it. So we're invoking that silence. The silence is the true name, the sound that, the unstruck sound, the sound that is, uh, that is silence. So, but you can't willfully enter that place because you've got to take your clothes off to get there. You can't, you can't go in there we can be aware of that and it is our true nature we don't go there we recognize it within ourselves through these practices so without the noise you don't hear the silence in this case there's a, a beautiful quote by saint john of the cross and in the beginning the Father uttered one word. That word is his Son, and he utters him forever in everlasting silence. And it is in silence that the heart must hear. But it's not a willful silence. You can't use personal will to enter into these states. Egocentric will can get us to do the practices that transcend the ego, but the will, willful ego itself can never enter into those states because it's always here. We're cut off for it, from it by our me-ness, which is what's dissolved temporarily by the chanting. And then our karmas recreate our me again and again and again. But little by little, the more we enter into that deeper place, that house is no longer created quite as lavishly, so to speak. You know, that's what Buddha said upon his enlightenment, his rec recognizing his enlightenment. He said, oh, house builder, you're not going to build any more houses for me. We, 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 we keep building this house for ourselves every, every, every day. The house of me and all our stuff. That's what we do. This idea that we are who we think we are. And, you know, Ramakrishna explained the way these chants work. He said that every repetition of one of these names has magnetism. It's like a seed that 
within it carries a huge tree. It's a tiny seed, but the tree is there. Every repetition of one of these names has that within it. And he said, so these seeds might get scattered by the wind and fall on the roof of an old house in the middle of the jungle somewhere. And now Ramakrishna lived in the 1800s and the tiles that they sometimes used on those roofs were baked in the sun. They weren't really very hard, but they were hard enough. So the seeds of the repetition of the name get caught by the wind and get caught between the tiles on the roof of this old house. Over time, over seasons, wind, snow, rain, sun, the tiles begin to soften and break down. Then those seeds take root. They take root and they start to grow and they destroy the roof of the house. And they keep going and they destroy the whole house, the walls and everything. So that house is our conventional sense of self, who we think we are, me. That's destroyed through the practice of the repetition of the name. So that house with the roof is a temporary structure. It's not eternal. It's a temporary structure. It's made up of certain things created for certain reasons. It's a karmically created structure. And there's an inside, a me, and an outside, the you. Me and the world, inside and outside. So through these practices, that me is, is gotten rid of. It's, it disappears, it's knocked down. And now there's only this vast presence. There's no, the space is no longer separated from the inside and the outside. It's just presence everywhere, vast space, the sky of being, everywhere, all the time. Those walls. So that's why I always say, people ask me, what do you feel when you meditate, I, when you chant? I say, how do I know? Why would I know? Why would I even be paying attention to that? I'm just paying attention to the chanting itself, the sound of the name. I'm not thinking about what I'm feeling or, or not feeling. And when, I'm, when I am, that becomes something to let go of, and I come back. If you can let go, let go. There will come a time when there'll be nothing to let go of. And guess what? That's it. You just said the name the right way. So if you can let go, let go. So that silence is always here. It's always present. That's being. It's not the absence of noise. It's the absence of non-being. It's the absence of thought, of of mental activity, all that stuff. And those states cannot be entered, to, entered into through the use of personal will. Only by relinquishing <laughs> the attachment and identification with the thoughts and the stories and all that stuff and coming back again and again and again and again until you getting more comfortable sitting more deeply in yourself in a relaxed manner. They call it Sahaj Samadhi, they call it the natural state, because it's who we are. Who we think we are is completely unnatural. It's a total, it's a program that's running, lots of programs that are put into us. The way we grew up, where we grew up, who our parents were, how they grew up, all that stuff. That's who we think we are. So we're deprogramming ourselves from that by practice. But silence is always here. Guru is always here. Love is always here. Couldn't be anywhere else. Anybody else? Yeah? I love your music. I love your stories. I I think I maybe even love you, but... Um, I am not my stories, but thank you. 
Well, that's kind of my question. So I work with people who have experienced horrible trauma and pain caused by other people. I myself have had horrible experiences with other people. And so I hope this question doesn't come off the wrong way. But why should we or why should one listen to you? Why did you come here today? To ask that question, right? <laughs> you know, you shouldn't listen to me. You should listen to you. That's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> I said it. I mean, all I'm, whatever I say, you're gonna, you're gonna think about it. It's, you're gonna react to it. You're gonna say, "Wow, that sounds good," or you can say, "That doesn't sound good." I will never ask you to believe something that you know. I'm, to take blind faith, you know. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. Anybody ask me to believe something that I don't believe, I just walk away. But if I think, well, you know, what they're saying might be true. If I do this, then that could happen. If I quiet my mind, maybe I'll suffer less. So maybe then I will start to investigate why, how to quiet the mind. Something like that. So if I say something that kind of lights you up, that, that you think is useful, Go for it. If probably, you know, everything I say is meaningless. You know, you don't even know that song. That's how old I am. <laughs> anyway, so um, you know, that's good. Uh, I, I'm one thing I'm not doing. I wouldn't even imagine doing is asking you to believe whatever I say about gospel truth. How would I know gospel truth? But I've had a lot of experiences. Uh, in life, and I'm still alive, so I talk about it. And anything that works for you, take it. Anything that doesn't, throw it away. You know? uh, yeah. So, hum. <laughs> Just don't throw it at me, okay? <laughs> Right, well, okay, somebody over here, yeah. Hey, this is a um, pretty selfish question that I don't know. Won't be of interest to anyone else, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, my mother, I've always described as a hippie turned Jesus freak. So um, she taught me that God is love and only love is real, to sort of steal a phrase from her. Mm -hmm. No, um, so I have been heartbroken, really, as I've grown up and seen the state of the Christian church as it is. Um, so I've sort of sought out interfaith sort of kind of things in my life. I came across this book called When Jesus Went to India. Uh -huh. And it's very interesting. It's sort of weird about the querying gospel and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it basically says that during the lost years of Jesus' life, he was in India. Right? Or, or some people say Tibet, too. Right, right. And there's yeah. evidence of that. So I was just wondering if you, if Maharaji spoke of that or of Western sort of religion or really more about Jesus' time in Mm. India, because I see only um, overlap really between what the stories you're talking about, Maharaji, and you know what Jesus did. I mean, they, to be a Christian supposedly is to be a follower of Christ. That is not what the Christian Church in America is today, right? Um, and so, right. Uh, anyway, that's the question. Yeah, you know, I saw this documentary on TV once. I think BBC had done it, and uh, it started off talking about Christianity. And then it's, it said, you know, to be a Christian, you can't consider yourself a Christian unless you believe in the uh, the uh, resurrection. And if you don't believe that Jesus, you know, went, came back from the dead, went up to heaven, then you, you, that's what they said. So I kept listening, and then they they started to try to prove point by point that he didn't die on the cross, and they had all this information like. The herbs that were brought to 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 him, and when he was taken down off the guard, they weren't healing. They weren't uh, embalming herbs. They were healing herbs, all kinds of stuff like that. By the end of the documentary, I said, "Hey, this is crazy. He didn't die on the cross. All this bullshit for all these years, all these people, <laughs> and it didn't even happen. Unbelievable." So I don't know. I wasn't there, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, 
Everybody's got a storyline. Maharaji spoke to us about Jesus a lot. It was shocking at first. I mean, really shocking. Because first of all, we were all Jewish, almost all of us. There. <laughs> what do we care about Christ? You know. <laughs> if somebody mentioned Moses to him. He looked like he didn't even say anything. <laughs> so. Um, I talked to us a lot about Jesus, and with great emotion, really uh, extraordinary. And uh, one time we were all sitting with me, he said, oh, all you people were with Jesus. Really? And he looked around, and that's strange. I mean, the things like that he would say. And uh, he said, um, when I was going to kill myself at one point in, in India, in the temple, I was going to jump in the river, you know. It's only six inches deep. <laughs> but I kind of knew there was a kind of a rock. If I could get my head down underneath that rock, and maybe I wouldn't be able to get up in time. I could kill myself. He looked at me and said, what are you going to do, kill yourself? Ha! <laughs> he laughed. He said, you can't die. Worldly people don't die. Only Jesus died the real death. I'm looking at him like, <laughs> he said only you know why he, he, he didn't he tried to die but he became immortal why because he never thought of himself thoughts of me never arose in that being he was a fully enlightened being one with God just like the saints in India, just like the great beings everywhere who have reached that state. He wasn't... Every, every cult says their leader is the only one who ever made it. So, what are you going to do? But uh, that doesn't change who he is, you know, and, and, and it's not easy for thoughts of yourself not to arise. I don't know if you've ever tried to sit quietly. Right? So, but in a being like that, or Buddha, they are at the end of all their karmas. There's no more, there's nothing more created for them. There's no illusory sense of self anymore. There's just the universe, the whole thing, right? God, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, Maharaji was very, very, um, yeah, he said, he never died. No one understands. He never died. He's one with all beings. They, they don't understand. So the Jesus that he was talking about isn't uh, the same one you hear about over here. But um, and when he said, told us to meditate like Christ, you know, what? So he said, how is that? He said, he lost himself in love. Right? So, yeah, it's, uh, they say this is the dark ages, they really do, where the light is buried very deeply, and it's hard to know right from wrong, and, and most people are pretty lost, and organized religion has become a, a place for a lot of darkness. All, yeah, all of any organized situation brings out the worst in everybody. It's just, it's a law of the universe. Because then there's somebody higher up in the organization and you want to be that person. That's terrible. So, in some situations that could be good work if there's, an, if there's enough honesty and uh, sincerity in the situation, but that's hard to find. Okay. Namaste. See y'all later. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, 
family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.